team, I'm so excited to bring Ivan Cleary. You probably don't need too much of an introduction, mate, but uh, we, we've worked together before and you know my vision when I worked for you. I don't know if you remember how I articulated it in words, but it was to assist, lead or inspire somehow an individual or a team to achieve their goal, not mine. That's what this podcast currently is. So it's the same as you knew me when we worked together, but it's the same. I asked the question, there's a team of listeners, if I can treat them like a team, it's like, how can I assist them? So when I ask, when we talk today, nothing is scripted, but I'm always in the back of my mind thinking, how can this help somebody else? So thank you so much because you're very sought after now in a lot of the topics we're, we're gonna talk about. One of them is leadership. One of them is obviously coaching, communication, cohesion, um, the culture. Culture is a big thing that everyone's uh, listening to these shows for. And, and Ivan, just to put you in the picture, a lot of the listeners are coaches, teachers, trainers, athletes. There's a lot of actual athletes that listen. Um, a lot of parents that have junior sport. So in and amongst that, Ivan, you're very sought after in this leadership space. There's a few business types that are now jumping on and giving me a lot of feedback. So, Some of the best learning you will ever do will be traveling. Give yourself space, time to creatively think, to learn, to meet people, or take a vacation with your family. Give yourself that time. And there's no better person or people or company to help you than the people at Tripadeal. Their experienced agents will look after you from start to finish. They will plan your flights, your accommodation, your car, your excursions, whatever you need. If you want to plan a trip of a lifetime, Tripadeal is the place to go. Tripadeal.com.au. Can we just start with your journey? Um, your influences as a young athlete and a player of very high standard and now a coach. If you want to tell us a little, little bit about yourself and then I'll just fire away. Well, firstly, thank you, H, for those kind words. Um, yeah, my journey is just uh, a very, very simple, I feel like normal um, Aussie kid. Uh, loves sports. Grew up in a sporting family. I'm the youngest of three boys. Um, my mum and dad played a bit of sport, nothing, nothing too high level, but you know, like played squash. You know, squash was a big sport back in the day. And, um, dad played a lot of cricket, and so me and my brothers were just constantly, you know, playing um, out in the backyard. You know, no phones back in those days, so uh, you know the old story. Like we'd just be out, at, whatever we were watching on TV, pretty much we'd be out. Go and play. We'd go and play. Yeah. So um, I grew up, uh, did a lot of athletics as a kid where dad was heavily involved. Dad coached me in soccer, pretty much. So he was, rather than my brothers, he, I was the one who kind of got, got to be coached by dad, sort of thing. I, that just, I don't know how that happened, but just, just did. So I learned a lot from him. Um, he, was a, he was funny, a very pragmatic type guy. Like he, he, he worked out in our little soccer team, you know, all the players, it was just a club team. You know, so you just have a bunch of guys of very varying levels of ability and he worked out, you know, each, each guy what they were good at and how they could, you know, help the team and made him feel good about that. And so I actually, without realising, I actually, you know, I learned a lot from him, you know. Um, plus he loved winning. He was so competitive. Like, I probably, <laughs> probably too competitive, um, not in a bad way, but... Yeah. It was all about winning, so anyway, I worked out over the years, hey, it's much more fun to win. So. Yeah, yeah. We're having <laughs> um, some fun at the moment. Yeah, well, yeah, definitely. Um, yeah. But I've seen the other side, a lot yes. of that. Um, yeah, anyway, so, yeah, I ended up playing um, yeah, all different sports, but as I said, I played soccer mostly when I was a kid. I played at rep level from like under 10s all the way through to like 17s. I was still playing soccer. Played a bit of footy at school. I did hear you were very good at soccer. I was okay, yeah, mm. yeah. Um, but I, you know what, I, I, I kind of fell out of love with it a bit. I, I played footy at school intermittently, and I, yep. I, I liked, and I followed, you know, was in the NRL back in those days, but first grade, and I was a Bowman Tigers fan, and my dad was too, so we, we used to get like that over. Yep. So I was riding on the footy. 
And uh, yeah, I just end up playing, and I was actually realised I was, you know, pretty good at it. I was okay at it, you know what I mean? Yeah. And then, um, yeah, I just about eighteen, I reckon. I'm like, I reckon I could, um, you know, like like most kids, I suppose. If you're a sporting kid, I'm thinking, wow, imagine being a professional. Imagine being the yeah. Being able to play for sport. I didn't care what it was, honestly, what game. Um, but rugby league was like, there's, I can see a, a chance there. Um, and I, I love playing it too. So, yeah, I ended up just uh, kind of, it was, I think it was the last year they ever had trials for like, was it for Manly? That's where I was from, the beaches. The last year they ever had trials for under 21s. It's called President's Cup back in those days. Yeah. After that, it was more just selective, you know, they get signed. Yeah, yeah. So this was an open trial. A open trial. You turned up to an open yeah. trial. But someone from the club actually kind of said, hey, you should do this. Yeah. So yeah. I had a little yeah. bit of an in. Did these trials. Didn't think I played that well, to be honest. Anyway, got a start. So played in the um, Manly Under-21s team. Um, long story short, next year I played my debut in first grade, halfway through the year. Who against? Against Western Suburbs. Warren Ryan was coaching that team. There was yeah. in that team. Jason Taylor was playing, but there's guys like um, Cement Gillespie, um, Jim Dimmick, um, Andrew Farrow, like these guys were just like, oh my god, I, yeah. Yeah, right. And I was playing with like the Manly team, like full of unbelievable players. Ian Roberts, Jeff Turvey, Cliff Lyons, Michael o Michael O'Connor was my captain. Right. I couldn't honestly. You wouldn't. You couldn't have written it. Was there? <laughs> was there a memory? If I just go straight yeah. to the debut, then yeah. Is there a memory? Is there a memory of a coach that told you you're playing, or is there a memory of any advice leading in, or would you remember that feeling you had? Or yeah, I don't remember it, it being told. I don't remember much of that stuff. No. Um, what I did remember is, um, I think the Manly Daily was a local paper, and I think on maybe the Wednesday or something. You know, once the team was named, it would be in the paper. And yep. I still remember on that Wednesday, so it was a couple of days before the game, sitting there eating my breakfast, reading the paper, and just getting this gut-wrenching, nervous feeling like, oh my God, because <laughs> I saw it in print, like my name at fullback, and there's all these like guys that I like looked up to, and you know, I was like, oh wow, like it's yeah. almost like, there's no turning back now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So I really remember that feeling. Yeah. So that was that was pretty cool. So I played. I had a 12 year career. I, I moved around. I played four different clubs. Um, I was a decent player. Nothing, you know. Yeah. I, I look back and think I probably put a ceiling on myself. I didn't really. I feel like I didn't, you know, I didn't take enough risks to be better. So as a coach now, I'm always kind of. Yeah. That was a good lesson, I think, you know. I had an okay career, but I was sort of just trying to survive. Yeah. I was lucky enough to play in good teams. Yeah. To be playing in finals most of the time. and um, It's interesting yeah. you're talking because you naturally, it seems like everything with you has kind of happened pretty organically, but with some influences of people, including your father. So your father's influenced you, and then little experiences along the way have influenced you. Even there you're talking about could have taken more risk and maybe aimed a little bit higher. And I know that you now encourage that with your own players. So what about any other influences in the coaching game that you feel when you look back on that was priceless in your development to where you are now? Yeah. Uh, Phil Gould was like by far and away the biggest influence. Yeah. So I went to, he signed me to go to the Roosters in the mid-90s. I'd played it, started at Manly, I was at the North Sydney Bears at the time, so I went there for a couple of years. Um, and he, saw, he signed me to go to the Roosters when he went there and was just transforming the club. He was, so I, he coached me for four years and I was just like blown away by the way he saw the game and, and the way he coached. It was nothing like I'd seen before. Right. And I, yeah, I really, I loved it, you know. Yep. And I still, to this day, I still, <laughs> Yeah, very much shaped from his ideas about how to play the game. Yeah. So, um, yeah, he was a huge influence. And then as a coach, uh, did you have any mentors along the way? Um, because obviously you had great coaches when you played, including Phil, but then once you started working as a coach, do you feel 
there's someone who really mentored you or you're influenced by or is it, you know, it doesn't even have to be rugby league. Is there coaches worldwide that you follow? Yeah, um, well, I, had, I was very lucky to have a, me- a mentor when I first started uh, as a head coach. So um, I finished playing in 2002. It was the grand final. I was playing for the Warriors. We played, the Roosters won it. Um, I started coaching the next year. Um, just sort of fell into it. They yeah. well, pretty much they saw something in me and asked me to coach reserve grade and be part of Ricky Stewart's uh, coaching staff. So by 2006, so I only coached for three years and I was a head coach in the NRL. <laughs> wow. So hang on, when you say they saw something in me, yeah. who, who backed you and said, I've got your back? You're well, it was the Roosters. I don't know exactly. I'm, yeah. I'm sure like Gus was involved. Yep. Bernie Gurr was the CEO there. Yeah. Um, so my, from my playing days, yeah, um, yeah, they, they probably saw something in me as a player because I was sort of finished there as a senior type player. Yeah. Um, yeah, so that was, um, you know, I was like humbled by that. Yeah. And anyway, so I started coaching and did a couple of years. Next thing you know, I'm, I'm head, coach. head coach at the Auckland, um, New Zealand Warriors. Complete rebuild. Um, anyway, a guy called John Hart, was he was working for them. John's an uh, ex-all-black coach, uh, very successful um, coaching at Auckland level, rugby. Um, uh, he's, he's an HR guy. Right. So... Um, really successful, you know, in, in business and stuff, and so really new people. And you know, he he backed me for this job, and then he was actually working for the club. So for six years while I was there, he he um, he kind of looked after a lot of stuff, you know, bridging me um, with the CEO and the board or the owner, sorry. And I felt like he he taught me a lot of stuff about managing people and and teams because he was a rugby guy. I never felt intimidated that he was going to know more about rugby league than me because he didn't. Yeah. But he knew a lot about teams and he backed me, supported me through that those opening six years of my career. Whereas there's some there's some rocky times and trying yeah. to work it out. So that was awesome. Um, reading and stuff. Um, Alex Ferguson's a real yeah. favourite of mine. Um, I think probably just because of the way he, you know, there's some parallels around. What we do here at Penrith, what I did, at the, we did at the Warriors. Yep. So bringing the young guys in, and so you know, Sir Alex, at, you know, that, what mid nineties at Manchester United with yeah. all those guys. I just love that story. I tell you what, I love. I wish we had these cameras following <laughs> us. The time that I spent with you, we often talked. It was like the class of '92, the Man United doco. Like what you have here at Penrith. There's, I don't know what year it was, but there's a class mm. that came through and they've played together so long and now they're achieving similar feats. Like, it, it is, there are a lot of parallels. There are, there are a lot of parallels in how you manage, I feel. Like, my observations is you're very, very comfortable and you're where you're at, you're very comfortable with your own philosophy and empowering other people around you. So, Alex always has this great team around him and he builds them up. And I, I, I've spoken about it before on the podcast, a little experience I had with Alex. He was, he was big on, he had one big family going on from the front office to the, the star players. And it's very similar, very similar. And you can definitely see the influence just by reading about him, by the sounds of it. Um, you've mentioned something there that I'm sure listeners will get out of how important it is to have a mentor and to have to have someone that just back backs you. Like, mm. like you look back now, and if he didn't back you back then, it, it, it's a ruthless game, the coaching game, ruthless. You can be spat out in two years. I'm you know? convinced if I didn't have John Hart in my corner, I don't think I would have survived the opening, um, my opening sort of period at the Warriors. Yeah. Um, as you mentioned, there's so many good young coaches become head coaches, and yeah, they for one reason or another they end up yeah, losing their job, and a lot of them never never get it back, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, it is ruthless, and you are not prepared for it. I don't care what you do. Yeah. It's you. <laughs> you just got to get in there and kind of work it out on the run. So you definitely need support. Yeah. You backed yourself to do it. You said you fell into it, but. At some stage, someone offered you the job and you went, I've got to have a crack. Mm. 
that seems like that's you all the way through your life. And, and I'm going to go to goal kicking. Like if someone's a goal kicker, they actually love pressure. Really, when you think about it. Yeah. They're actually, they have a skill of having to be really calm. You were a great goal kicker. Your son's a great goal kicker. There's obviously the soccer skill of kicking, but the mentality of kicking. I'd love to go there because it's in you, like the pressure of being a head coach. I've sometimes seen you as, no, no, this is an opportunity. Like you've, you often use the term when we, we would win or lose a game and you would talk to the players about even winning as an opportunity to learn from winning. The goal kicker has an opportunity or you could see it as, oh no, like the pressure. Like it, but if you see an opportunity from a sideline, yes, I want to take this kick. Can you, can you relate to what I feel about you there? Have you ever thought about it like that? Like you, you handle pressure really well and you stay very calm. First answer, no, I've never thought about uh, what I'm about to say. Yes, so you've just answered, this is an next question. question. This is an next, yeah. But I think the goal kicking thing, I think one thing about being a leader is you have to have a sense of responsibility for something bigger than yourself. Yeah. I think if, if you're going to be a leader, you, it's just like this innate feeling that, you know, whether it's a, um, you know, a team or a, you know, a classroom or whatever, you've got to have a sense of responsibility for that, for a group of people. Yeah. So if you're the goal kicker, for example, you're the only guy who can kick that two points for your team. Yeah. So I never really thought about it like that, but I think that's probably why I end up being a coach uh, or a leader, because yeah. I, have, I just have this innate sort of feeling of responsibility that I like. You like it? I like to be able to yeah, do this, because that's going to help the team. Yeah. So, yeah, the pressure stuff... Um, yeah, I think goal kicking, if you want to go down that track, like if you do the work, then you believe in yourself. And when the pressure comes, if you just peel it back to, I'm just, you know, done this kick a million times of training and, yeah. you know, lots of times in different games or whatever, that's what used to help me just to be able to, yeah, I've done it before, I know what I'm doing, go through the process, yeah, nail it. Didn't always and, nail it. Didn't, but, yeah. And you always <laughs> stayed so calm and I, I see it, I mean, I felt it. We worked together a long time, but I see it in you. I observe, I observe a lot of different coaches and different sports. And like you are very calm. Some of the best coaches are very calm, and then that's a reflection on how their team behaves and performs as well. Like your leaders in your team that you coach are also very calm. Uh, one's your son. We should go there, but. Yeah, that, that goal kicking analogy is, um, yeah, thanks for sharing that because you're bloody good thanks at it. Thanks for asking me. It's, 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 yeah, it's got me thinking about leadership just on that point. Well, there you go. Well, let's stay on leadership. In your eyes, because there are a lot of people listening that are about leadership, what makes a great leader? You just went there a little bit, but without talking yourself up because you are a great leader, let's talk about your leaders in your team might be easier to talk about. What makes them great leaders? It sounds simple, but I, I've always followed this little um, saying that, um, I think I read it, was, I don't know, I read it at some point, I don't even know who, who wrote it, but it was like, if you, look at, if you look over your shoulder, so to speak, and there's people following you, then you're leading them, yeah. right? And then you go, okay, well, why are they following me? Like, what am I doing that's, that's worth following? So that's the first thing, to, to be a leader, you, you've, you've You've got to be someone that's worth following. So, okay, so why would they follow me? Like, they believe in you, so they're probably the things you do, um, you know, you're a role model in certain respects. So a lot of the stuff, it's not what you say, but it's what you do, and people notice, you know. Um, anyway, so our, our leaders, like, I, I think they're, they're great leaders in our team because, one, they're very consistent. Um, they turn up every day. They're, they're professional. They, they, you know, they do all the little things to get them right for the game. Um, which makes them consistent players and consistent people. And I think that's important in leadership because if I'm going to follow someone, I'm going to, I, want to, I want to know what they're going to do every day. You know, I, I'm not going to follow someone every day and they're going to walk in and is he going to be, how's his mood going to be today? Is he going to be up, down? Yeah. I, I just don't think that's someone that I would follow, you know? Yeah. 
Um, so consistency is, yeah, it's a big one. Authenticity is the biggest. You know, you, you have to be yourself. Yeah. So you can, you know, you can read them, you know, all these different leaders. And there's so many different styles yeah, of yeah, leadership yeah. and you can take all, but at the end of the day, you have to, if you're trying to be someone else, yeah, people are going to sniff it out. Yes. Yeah. So yes. that's a big one. And that takes also, that takes time to have, to be confident enough in your own style and personality to be able to, to be really good at that, just to be really good at being you. Yeah. Because that's a challenge. Because you're like, I'm sure I'm the same as probably most people. When you're leading, there's all these little insecurities you have and um, yeah. that can really affect you. And if you're too insecure at times, you want to be, I want to be like that guy or, yeah, it's a, that takes time. Well, you, you just, that's a key point I feel is you've got to do time. <laughs> you've got to do time. You've got to make an effort to, um, to learn, but you have to do, you can't buy time. So in your coaching career, when I was privileged to work with you, it was at a time where you'd had so much time and I felt you were very comfortable in your own philosophy and where you, there was no insecurities going on. We went through a bit of a rough patch early, like mm. as far as the team, like there was, there was some pressure, but you just kind of took it on. Yeah. You know? Well, there is insecurities, just, just probably tend not to show them. And that's yeah. nothing about leadership, you know, you gotta, you've just, you've just gotta, you've gotta bottle some of that stuff up. Yeah. Because, you know, people wanna feel, they wanna look at a leader, they wanna feel good about, if they're going through a rough patch, they look to the leader for, you know, to, to guidance and, you know, you gotta be, you gotta be strong there. But I also learned too that, you know, it's, it, it's actually a good thing to, you know, be a little bit vulnerable at times. I don't have all the answers or, you know, don't have all the answers, but I'm, I'm going to find them, you know, we're yeah. going to work it out. Um, so all in all that period you're talking about, the hard times, and I, I learned on my wife a lot during that period, you know, I actually learned to um, open up about stuff to her. Yeah. Um, and that, that helped me to be able to then get back in the next day and be confident and, you know, have a, have a path, because you've got to unload it somewhere. Yeah. So anyway, that was a, I was a usual male, you know, I didn't want to bother my wife with, or burden her with, you know, stuff about work and yeah. how I'm feeling, but all, in the end it always just make it worse, so, yeah. Mate, I felt, and I appreciate you sharing that, like, talk about vulnerability, I felt you're even a little bit vulnerable for my listeners there, like that, and I'll dig a little deeper, like, that was tough, that first, that first year, like, you, you were, um, you were about that far away from saying, I'm not going to do this anymore. Yeah, I was. Because <laughs> I was with you. Yeah. And we were riding highs and lows together. Mm. And there's many times we're sitting at your house and you're <laughs> unloading a bit of this stuff. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we used to sit back, we'd have a wine and we could start talking, coaching, training, whatever. And then you did unload some stuff that year. Like You were that close to giving up because of the the pressure because it was affecting people you loved yeah. not so much you yeah and i watched you go through that and can you imagine you did quit like somehow you found a way mm. and i feel you just mentioned it sharing it with beck was a big one and surrounding yourself with people but somehow you found a way and since then you've had three grand finals in a row you had to go through some tough, painful times, painful decisions you had to make, but also one decision was to not quit. Mm. And now you've just won two premierships in a row back to back, which not many people have ever coached that. Yeah, um, it sounds a little dramatic, but it's true. Yeah. yeah. So the bigger thing was when I came back, you know, so I was out, I coached at the Panthers for four years, lost my job, um, was out of out of coaching for a year, 2016. That was a really good year for me because I, I really reflected a lot. I'd been ten, 10 years as a head coach, really reflected. So, you know, um, you're talking about philosophy, I really nailed down what, you know, what, what was authentic to me, what I thought was gonna work. So I was really looking forward to the next phase of my coaching. So, um, got a job at the West Tigers. I'm forever grateful for that opportunity. Um, things were going really well there. I was really enjoying it, um, but one thing that 
gnawed at me was I had to coach against my son, you know, who's playing here at Penrith, Nathan. And I, two two games I did it, hated it. Yeah. My wife hated it. You know, I just really didn't like it. Um, anyway, long story short, Panthers off back to Penrith. Get me back. It was like, oh man, I would love that. You know, nothing against honestly, nothing against the Tigers, but I've. I had unfinished business here, I felt, you know. I, yeah, I, I started from rebuild, you know, it was just, yeah, we moved our family out here, became part of the community, all that kind of stuff. And, and yeah, to be able to coach Nathan was like, that was just the icing on top, you know. Anyway, it was a really messy situation and, you know. Anyway, it worked out, you know, I came back, but that just, the messiness of the exit at, at Tigers, um, plus the, you know, the father and son thing yeah it was a big story and if we failed that was even going to be a better story bigger story yeah and um that's exactly what was happening first 10 games we'd only won two yeah nathan wasn't playing well the team was we we played a game uh, in the middle of the year about round 10 or something against the warriors here at penrith oh man i remember going <laughs> the game finished the thing well, I'm responsible for that lot, and that, that was awful. Yeah. So I was at the lowest low of lows. That was rock bottom. Yeah, and I honestly mm. felt really guilty because I felt that it was affecting Nathan's form. He was like, there was talk he shouldn't get picked for Origin, and he wasn't playing, you know. There's, talk about support, uh, Freddie supported him. Yeah. Freddie fit unbelievably through that period, but anyway, that's another story. Yeah. But that's where, yeah, it was, you know, one thing about a leader, you are responsible for the, for how the team plays. Yeah. Like that's your that's you, you that's on you. And we were we were terrible. Yeah. Um, and I was probably coaching terribly because, yeah, I, I was not at my best that year in so many ways. Um, I had a five year contract, and so I was halfway halfway through the first year of a five year contract, and I definitely was thinking, I don't think, I'm I don't think I'm the right man for this for this job. The team's playing badly. You know the star halfbacks. You know he's suffering because of because of our relationship and because I'm, yeah, like I was burdening him through this pressure of father and son thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, as you said, we somehow got it through it. I had a lot of support from my wife, um, my brothers actually really chimed in at that stage, and and um, yeah, we we somehow strung some wins together, and um, we brought some fresh blood into the team. Guys yeah. like Mitch Kenny and. Brian Toho and mm. um, yeah, we, we didn't finish the year, we missed the finals. Um, so it was like, that was a ref reflective year. It was like, man, but I, I yeah, I, okay, we're, we're gonna go forward. I'm gonna see this thing out. And um, had a bit of a mindset change there. It was like, now or never, let's, we're going for it. And yeah. So we went there with, with Nathan as well. There was a real learning period where we used the terminology FOPO, which is, uh, uh, you know, like there's FOMO and there's all these different little things. But FOPO stands for fear of people's opinions. And it, it, Michael Gervais, sports psychologist who works closely with, with Pete Carroll in the NFL, they come up with this. And it can be really paralysing. And it was paralysing you as a coach. It was paralysing Nathan. You said Nathan wasn't performing well at that, that time. But it wasn't because of lack of skill. It wasn't because of lack of fitness or strength or speed or knowledge. Like it, it was clearly the FOPO. When we sorted that out, acknowledged that, and then learnt little ways to deal with that, then have good people around you that back you. He just went like that. And you know, for the Penrith fans that listen, yeah, there's a great memory of you decided to debut some you know, work ethic players, some players that brought an energy to the team with the things that you value. So Mitch Kenny was a great one. Uh, that night at Parramatta, it kind of changed that season and you mm. went on a bit of a winning streak. In fact, you threw a party at your house at that stage <laughs> and that was a memorable party and yeah. everyone just got together. And yeah. But, yeah, we've kind of gone in different directions there, but you were that close of feeling like you weren't the one and mm. great story since. Um, we've mentioned your son there, so why don't we stick there for a second? Like, there's a lot of listeners out here that coach their own kids. Including me, I've, which you encouraged me to do, by the yeah. way, which I appreciate because I've had a great time since. Um, 
what's it like coaching your own son? Your father coached you. Mm. Think about lessons you learned from him and think about stuff you've gone through with Nathan because now you and Nathan are the poster boys of a father-son team. There's images of you and Nathan after a grand final win that will go down in history. Like it'll, it'll be on the walls still in 100 years from now. Talk about that because mm. there's a lot of listeners that are doing the same. Yeah, so because I was a head coach and had a profile uh, when Nathan was quite young, um, I didn't really coach him you know, as a young kid. Um, I think I coached his soccer team when he was like about six or something. So, yeah, yeah. Um, but I was always going to be like, you know, just, just give him a few things that be f- fundamentals, I suppose, about you know, what he should do. That, and that's pretty much it. And then leave it, sort of leave it to him. Um, I, it's funny, I still, to this day, I still talk to him about the same stuff that I talked to him when he was 14, wow. you know, before a game. Which is? Like, start the game, get involved early, get your defence right, but, you know, it could be just be aggressive, like run the ball, and stuff like that. Just honestly, really, just real triggers to get him into the game. And then the rest, he's, then his training takes over, then his competitiveness takes over. Um, but if I see him, like, I feel like his form's eh, maybe maybe dipping a little bit, just go back to that stuff. Yeah. Just go back to that stuff, especially in big games like Origin and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, the bigger the game, yeah. the more simple you make it. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Um, so it was really like, when, when I came to Panthers and coached him at the NRL level, that was, apart from the little episode as a you know, under six soccer, yeah. That was sort of like the first time that I'd coached him. Right. So, um, but so it's probably the same as, you know, if any, any parent who coaches their son or daughter, they'll still have the same, the people will be looking at them, you know, with the same questions. Favor, you know, does he favour his son? Does she favour his son? You know, whatever. Because um, it's just how people are. They'll just want, they'll just want to see how, how yeah. it works. So, um it was easier for me because Nathan was never not going to be picked in the team. Yeah. I wouldn't have done the job. I wouldn't have coached him at this level if he was like a, you know, fringe player. I just yeah. wouldn't have. I'm not saying you should or you shouldn't, but yeah. for me, I wouldn't have done that because yeah. to me that would just open. I know myself, I would have been affected by other people's opinions. Yes. I would have made decisions, I think, um, that suited that agenda, yes. which is the wrong... The wrong... It's mm. the wrong way, you know, so... Anyway, uh, we, we knew when we got into it, there was some stuff that we didn't know was coming. Yeah. We knew there was going to be some hard times, with that, but we couldn't actually put our finger on what's going to be. In that first year we were just talking about, we pretty much got it all. All in one. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, but I love it, mate. I love it. Like, you know, to spend every day with my son, you know, we're working together, um, you know, with, following the same goal, you know, with the other, all the other boys around us. It's just awesome. Um, I love it when he comes over to our place for a barbecue or whatever and, you know, we talk a bit of footy and it's really cool. Yeah, I feel very lucky. Yeah. Well, I remember I, um, my daughter asked me to coach her and I've, I've always been like, a, again, it's been a bit of a profile job I've always had, so I've always made sure I keep a back seat in mm. all their sport. And I haven't pushed anything and I do see some crazy stuff going on with parents that I, we should do another show on that, about <laughs> lessons of what should mm. be done. Um, but I've always stayed back until she asked me to coach and I come to you because I was working for you and you said, if your child has asked you to be involved, you have to do it. You told me you have to do it. And I've loved it, um, really love it. But be interested to even talk to Nathan's take on the pressure on the actual player when dad's a coach because at a kid level, you know, it's not so much pressure of media of what you would have, but there's, there's people's opinions going on, like there's parents, there's other players, you know, like in, in particular if you've got a pretty gifted athlete as a child then you know are you giving them more opportunities or so yeah. there's there's all sorts of pressures going on for coaches out there coaching their kids um yeah I, I found it awkward sometimes when you're actually coaching like do i want to give so much praise to 
because I'm very positive and you know we're like yeah. we kind of we yeah. very quietly critique but we very publicly praise the athlete mm. so but sometimes like if my own son who I'm working with or daughter how much of a like if you've seen me work out here with your son and I'll be cheering yeah, yeah. encouraging him but when it's your own child you no, I'm not going to do that because the other kids are thinking yeah. I'm favoring that so child, what you're saying you know? is there's this there's, it's unavoidable that you're going to have a little bit of you know, bias or conscious bias around that sort of stuff. And I definitely do it. I, yeah. I, I refrain from giving Nathan the, the praise that he should get sometimes. Yes. I definitely do. And yes. I, I think I always will. Yeah. So there is definitely, so there is, there is some little things that will always exist when, you, when you're coaching, yeah. you know, um, a son or daughter that you just can't avoid, I think. Yeah. So, but, you know, that's just how it goes. Because I do feel like, geez, sometimes I... I probably should give him a bit more praise, should, whether it's mate. in front of the team or yeah, or yeah. publicly. Um, so I, I do think about that sometimes, but I think he understands as well. Mate, I, I even struggle when the, the team manager comes and you're taking the votes for player's player and you, you see on the vote sheet like all these other people have voted for your child who's played well, but I don't vote for him because yeah. I, I feel like... Yeah. So you're almost like pulling back from giving your child... Yeah like you you know so that's a that's the thing you need to consider like like because because kids are all you know they're, they're all different and so it might be like you know you're refraining from giving them praise in the team and amongst the other parents and the kids and but like how are they feeling about that uh, yeah. like are they getting like oh my god I'm doing all this stuff I feel like I'm playing really well but Dad does or mum doesn't really. Yeah. She's, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like it's, you, yeah. There's a lot of stuff goes to it. Really. Yeah. Um, mate, your son then, his leadership skills are developing. What, I know we went there before, but I, I talk about your son probably more than you do as the ultimate pro. I've loved being a part of his journey, seeing he's always finding some way to get better, better, always. I've never seen anyone study the game as much as your son. Like sometimes you leave here at nine o'clock at night and he's in the video room, no one else is in the building. I've seen that. I've seen when others have left, he's in the room stretching or he's in the ice baths. But the study of the game is what impresses me so much. And when, we, when you watch, if you come to watch Penrith train, he's always last on the field, always. It's like he has to be. Um, what do you see in your son that that you could share with the listeners about what's... I mean, he's still developing. He's only yeah. still young, but he's achieved two premierships, origins, World Cups. He's achieved a lot, but what makes him so good? Yeah, like he... he some of the stuff you mentioned, uh, I still get shocked by, you know, and I'm still learning about the level that he's... It's, sorry, the amount of work he's putting in, I still get shocked sometimes about, oh, wow, he's doing that too. Like he's, um, one, he loves it. Yeah. H. Then that's another story like yeah. altogether. He loves it. As a kid, so he probably should go back to this, I think. As a kid, um, loved watching footy, loved watching all sports, but he's very, um, just took a lot in, didn't necessarily talk about it a lot, but just, Absorbed a lot of stuff. Um, obviously, I was a, you know, in a profile position, so I think he just, yeah, he just absorbed uh, a lot of stuff. He used to come to trainings when I was coaching, and you know, and just watched a lot of stuff. And um, but you mentioned like he also had to really work on himself around the mental side of the game. You mentioned FOPO, and yeah. um, he's done a lot of work that outside of just, you know, kicking, passing, you know, technical stuff, physical stuff. It's a lot of mental stuff. Um, yeah, he's just, he's just fallen in love with preparation. Yeah. That's probably the best way to say it. He, he prepares, and Yoey's the same. Isaiah Yo, yeah. both our captains, they are on a mission every single game to prepare so hard so and to just, you know, uncover every stone, um, so there's no excuses game time that's that's not easy because it's really easy to leave yourself a little bit of wiggle room to go oh well you know I yeah. didn't do that or 
you know, because it's if you if you prepare perfect or you feel like you've done every single thing and then you fail, like well, where do you go to then? You yeah. know, so very brave. Um, well, they're very courageous, yeah. and that's the thing you value in a player. They're very courageous to even put themselves to a point where maybe I will fail. Yep. And then they're okay with that. Like, I love your reviews the week, like a day or two post game, because you're either learning from winning or you're learning from a loss. There's not many losses in your team, but they're always learning, but they're taking a risk to get to that level where if they fail, it's an opportunity to learn again. Is that right? Is yeah. That you see it? You mentioned he loves it, fall in love with preparation. So I want to ask you, what do you love most about coaching? Because love is a pretty powerful word mm. you just used. What do you love about coaching? Um, I, I love being part of a team. Um, as I said, as a kid, I played lots of different sports, anything I could find, but the team thing was really... I love playing team sports the most. Yeah. So whatever sport, if you're in a team, it's just I don't know, there's just something about that connection and yep. shared experiences and all in the same, you know, same vision, same goal if you're in a good team. <laughs> yeah. Um so that's that's one thing, that's a real basic thing that I that I love. Um I just love I love that responsibility. I you know, I mentioned earlier, like you mentioned asked about goal kicking. I just I love being responsible for a group of people. Yeah. Don't know why. Just I just yeah. do. But that's a such a there's so such big highs and lows there, you know, like and there's so much fear of um you know, geez, we have to win or we have to this has to go well because if it doesn't it's like so, Yeah. I don't know. I, I just I love that I feel like I'm a pretty calm level person, but I actually really love the Ups and downs, the roller coaster of, of um, you know, coaching at any level, but this level, yeah, like yeah. the difference between a win and a loss, oh man, oh. like in terms of the, the your feelings, your emotions, yeah. the week ahead, um, your family life, like it's huge. The you know? highs so, are very high. For some high. reason, I like that. Yeah, yeah. The highs are very high. The lows are very low. Oh, yeah. I love a debut. Oh, now, yeah. you allowed me to share a moment. Do you remember, and I'm going to ask what, when you tell a player they're making their debut, how much you enjoy doing that. Do you remember when we phoned Spencer Lenu? Yeah, I do, yeah. Yeah, I, I didn't, wouldn't normally do it on the phone, but for some reason, yeah, we had to do that day. I can't remember why. Um, we are in the car, yeah. just found out someone was out, had a discussion around players and whatever and you said let's ring him and I have a feeling you knew I was loving it because I filmed it I loved it I had a feeling you, you everything mate. yeah I had a feeling that you you knew I love a debut and you let me share that little moment because usually that moment is you and the player mm. um, well I've changed it up a bit over the years I like so I think maybe that one was one of the was ignited something in me that um, sharing Sharing that moment is actually really cool. Yeah. So I've, we've done a couple where I've just dropped it in in the in the players' room in front of everyone. Yeah. yeah. They go. That, they go. They are yeah. awesome. Yeah. Debuts are one of the. So you asked me what I love. I mean, just just seeing the debut is a really good example of seeing a, a young man who's dreamt his whole life. So he might only be. Might only be nineteen, but let's say he's you know, you just get some in their early twenties, you get some guys in the late twenties. Yeah. Their whole life is about doing they're about to do what they've been dreaming of, of working towards. It's a pretty big deal. Like that's it's, you know, it's always a good story. Yeah, oh man, man, that's a that's a big thing in anyone's life in in terms of achievement. Yeah. Um, and then that moment when they actually feel it and you can see them start you can see their brain start ticking and I'll yeah. go and ring you know, someone close to them, mum or dad, their partner, whoever, and it's just like, and then they're just like, oh my god, yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's it's awesome. It's a really cool thing. You just mentioned the word share. You mentioned the word share. A couple of lines earlier, you mentioned the word a shared vision. I think this is a pretty cool topic to go to. Like, sharing stuff is sometimes where the power is. Even this, like, I'm sharing this for a reason to try to inspire some people. 
but a shared vision. You had a vision that I know you won't mind me saying. Your vision articulated in a sentence was to be a source of community pride. Explain that and why it means so much to you because the way I look at vision is if I live in alignment with my vision, which I started at the start of this show, I can tick that off every day. And it has to be me. It has to be authentic to me and my philosophy and how I live. And I have this thing, if we all live our own vision, the results will take care of itself. So if you become the way you play, the way you behave, the way you train, if you guys live your vision, which you've shared with the team, to be a source of community pride, you've got this town pumping now. It's humming. Like, I bet you can't even walk into a coffee shop anymore. The, this town is so proud of you guys, but you, there was a day you stood in front of the team and we shared your vision, and the results will take care of itself, and they have. Can you mm. share what that meant to you, why that came about, that vision of being a source of community pride? Yeah, well, I first came to Penrith 2012 was the first season, so that's um, yeah, a little over 10 years ago now. Um, just from, you know, all the like, intel about Penrith and the club, it was very much a community-based club. You know, Penrith, geographically, it's sort of in its own little pocket, you know, west of Sydney, just before the mountains. So I came from my family and I, you know, we were at the Warriors in New Zealand before that. We're originally from the Northern Beaches, as I mentioned, my wife is as well. All our families are all over there. So when we came back to Sydney to take this job, I could have, we could have gone and lived there and I could have just commuted. Yeah. But we decided, you know what, we, we, no, we're going we're gonna, to um, locate out in Penrith, immerse ourselves in the community. We've got four kids, we want to bring them up out here. Nathan was about 14 maybe. Um, let's get him playing footy out here. Um, yeah, so that's what we did. Um, early days, I saw a lot of Parramatta jerseys, Rabbitohs, Dragons, you know, the typical old yeah. sort of clubs. Um, and I just thought, oh, Jesus, you know what? Be, I'd love to see, you know, people getting around in Panthers kit because they just, they liked they liked their local team, but they weren't really like, they wouldn't stick their head up and go, oh, I'm a Panthers fan. I didn't feel, you know? Yeah. We didn't get a lot of, you know, a lot of crowds coming to the games. and So I just thought, you know what, it's just, like, that's like, that's going to be the barometer, I reckon. Yeah. How, like, and we're in such a privileged position, as you mentioned, you know, when, when the team wins or when the team's doing well, everyone feels a bit better. Out here, in, out here in Penrith, you know, you sort of look back towards the city and I just feel like there was, you know, just that little bit of an inferiority complex. Very proud, but like, you know, they, just, they look down on us, they jokes about us. Yeah. You know, it's like, oh man, like that's, what a position we're in, you know, to be able to influence that. Yeah. So it's not just about footy, but it's about, you know, it is about community. How, you know, everyone walks a bit taller when they're, you know, our team's going well or yeah. something for them to follow. And all our boys, basically, a lot of them come from here and, or yeah. they've been here for a while. So that, it was just a way to encapsulate everything, I thought, is if, 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 if we're a reason, if our football team is a reason for the local community to be proud or feel good about themselves, wow, like, yeah. what a, what a, how good's that? What an yeah. opportunity. And it's, it's, it's never finished. So it's never. never finished. So it's like a, you know, it's the, it's the infinite game. Is, yeah. You know, you, you, and that's one of the things that's cool too. You know, it's one of my favourite lines, it's not a destination. So, and now, now the challenge for us is everyone's feeling really good and, you know, but that level of pride, like if, if, we, if our performances start dropping, you know, we've set the bar pretty high, so. Yeah. Yeah, well, I don't want that, you know, I don't want to, I want to, that, that pride thing, if, if the community's proud of us, we're going to keep it. Yeah. You know? We're going to find well, new ways to make them even more proud. Well, I think the power of when you shared it, we all shared our own vision is when you share it, everyone then lives it. So all the departments here, like whatever they do, they're trying to make people proud of this brand, this club, this team, how you play, how you defend. 
is what Western Sydney people love, the, the effort stuff, the work ethic stuff. They love it. So how you play, that makes them proud. What you do in the community makes them proud. How you behave. Like, mm. But like you say, it's an infinite game. You can always, you can always uh, tick things off. Like even if someone goes astray, you can go, hey, do you think that's going to make the community yep. proud? And it's good reference. So, yeah, I feel like it's a good reference. A good reference point, yeah. point is what I was trying to yep. get to. Yep. Uh, I really love how you, you did that and you shared that. And geez, you've got this town. You've got this town proud. I, I know that we don't for want to now. stay on too long. We've got them proud for now. So. Yeah. That's where I was about to go. You're big on the culture. You're big on this. But you just said you always have to work on it. Mm. Like just because you've got a good culture once doesn't mean it's going to stay good. You have to continually work on it. Do you agree? Oh, totally. You know, it's a, probably an analogy you used before, but it's like a garden. You yeah. Know? You can have the most beautiful garden, but if you let it, you know, if you go away for a bit or you let it, all of a sudden, weeds start coming That's up. That's it. Or it's just I remember. a bit overgrown. Or it's, so you just got to tend to it all the time. Um, that's sort of how I sort of feel. I'm a bit of a yeah. gardener. Um, and it, you can get a little bit... Yeah, you can get complacent. Like complacency is just a normal human thing. Yeah. Um, so I'm always guarding against that. Yeah. Um, I couldn't have done that in my early coaching days because I would have been too busy worrying about little things that I thought was, you know, were more important. I yeah. probably wouldn't have been confident in myself enough. Yeah. To say, hey, this is going to be the vision, guys. I would have been like, well, am I really qualified for that? Or yeah. What if it doesn't work? Or we would often sit over a red and we would say, we, let's do some gardening. And we're always gardening, you're either planting seeds and nurturing them or you're weeding and stuff. But the culture bit for you, culture for me and to the listeners, it's everywhere. You feel it, you see it, you smell it. When you walk in this building, you know this is a good culture. There's good cultures and there's bad cultures. It's as simple as that. Good ones win, bad ones lose. Mm. I feel I've seen all of them, but when you come in here, but culture is just a bit of a fad word, Ivan. You're big on living it. Mm. You're big on, often I've been to places and there's words on the wall, but they don't mean much. Like you actually live it and you align everything of how you want to look, feel and act. That's your big thing. If I can give any message to anyone, it's living it, right? Yeah, well, everyone's got a culture, as you mentioned. So you don't just create, it's, you've got, like, there is one. Yes. So there's probably two ways you can look at it, I thought. There's one, it just becomes, it's just, it, it just forms organically. Or you can, you can sort of position it and drive it what you, what you want it to be. Yeah. So after, you know, 10 years or so, as I said, I had that little break and I came back and I thought, okay, everyone wants, in our, in our world, winning is... You know, it's paramount. Yeah, yeah. Results-driven business. So, everyone, we, we need a winning culture. So, what does that look like? So, I thought it worthwhile to actually, yeah, I guess drive a certain, some certain values and ways to do things that are going to help us win. And it just so happens that I think you know. Um, having an environment that people like to, you know, treat each other well. And I think that's actually helps you win. Um, and it's, yeah, it's something that people can, you know, like easily buy into because at the end of the day, the culture is all about people. Yeah. You know, so you've got to have a certain, you know, so yeah, you've actually got to get certain people that are going to fit that culture properly. Um, if they don't fit into that, then they can't be here. Start gardening. Yeah, they can't be here. And that's not, that's not actually a personal thing. That's just how yeah. it is. Um, you can be from any, I believe you can be from any walk of life. You can, background can be whatever. Um, you can have different colour hair or whatever floats your yeah. boat. As long as you, as long as you're all on the same line in terms of, you know, team, club, values, and um, what's important, then yes. you can be yourself. Yes. But you all got to, but, but you've got to be, you know, part of what's what the team is about. Yeah, as I said, the values, you know, the vision, where we're going, um, how we're going to play. Yep. You know, teamwork, 
Yeah, that's that's pretty much as simple as it is. So. You said teamwork there. The biggest thing for you is communication. Mm. Communication is, from my memory, is your biggest priority. To have a team that communicates well. Because the most connected team, the best communicating team, defends the best. The best defensive team wins. But how can we relate that to listeners? Communication in their life... You are huge on it and you make it very clear to your team it is a number one priority. Yeah, we yeah, we do talk about culture, so I think the biggest biggest baseline for a good culture is trust. Yeah. Um, one word, hard that's that's so <laughs> that's a huge topic, trust, you know, and yeah. that's it's really you just can't say we have it or we or this we measure it. It's it's just a feeling, isn't it? Yeah. You know? But it's, I think it's worth taking the time to build it. Yes. So, yeah, we, we take time for it. You know, busy schedule and you've got to fit all the stuff in there. We actually, you know, make time to do it. How do you build trust? It's pretty much, yeah, start hearing people's stories, yeah. communicating. It's okay to be a little bit vulnerable. Um, that's, yeah, that, that's a, a huge part of it, I, I feel. Um, so many different ways to communicate, though, you know, like, but if you are like insular and you're on your own in a team environment, then if we've got too many of those, that's, I don't think that's, yeah. that's not good. I talk to the boys all the time. If you're not communicating on the field, you're, not, you're actually no use to anyone in a team. Well, that's pretty much as simple as that. You don't have to be the loudest guy or whatever, but in, sometimes the communication might just be, you know, hey, I've coached over the Warriors, so I'll get the eyebrows thing, you know. Yeah, Maybe yeah, that's yeah. it. Just, but even if you do that, we're, we're together. Yeah. You know, look, the next guy, you know, could be a thumbs up, whatever, say something. But it's, that's yeah. so important that you're feeling like we're all connected. Everyone feels better. It's a basic human need to be part of a, you know, part of a team, um, be part of something that's bigger than them. But in terms of trying to, trying to play the game, if you've got too many people just in their, in their own heads, yeah. you know, we've got a problem. Yeah. I could talk all day with you, as you know. We don't have time for that, but we will be clipping that last bit. You said, if you're not communicating, you're no good to anybody. We're often, often in rugby league, but there's people here listening that aren't rugby league people, but you, you could review a defensive mistake and press pause, and you say to that player, or you say to the team, what happened here? And usually someone says, oh, we didn't talk. Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. Or there's a play that... What happened here, attacking? Oh, we didn't communicate it well enough. We didn't get in position early enough because we didn't communicate. It always comes down to that. So there's people listening that aren't rugby league, but it could be even your own family. I know, my wife might not sit through a whole podcast of mine, but I know if, if ever I'm in the wrong and there's a problem at home, it's because I haven't communicated, yep. right? Yep. I know in a business world or a business relationship, if that, if you haven't invested time in communicating, that relationship might, might go astray. Like, and there's a bit of a saying, I forget who uses it, I think John Gordon uses it, I know you've read a lot of his books, I'm pretty sure John Gordon says, when there's a void in communication, negativity fills it. Yeah, that's so a cracker, isn't it? If two people aren't talking, in business that usually negativity fills it. But on the field, if I'm defending next to you, <laughs> there's some negativity coming, there's a mistake coming our way if we're not talking. Yeah, yeah. I, we, talk, you know, we talk a lot, I'm sure you talk a lot in the podcast about trying to stay in the moment, stay present. Yeah. Well, usually, like, if you're, if you're not communicating, you're probably not, you're probably not in the present. You're probably thinking, you're thinking about the past, you might be thinking about the future. I know personally every day, it's my biggest challenge I reckon every day in my role is that if I get a little bit, I'm off to the next task or I'm doing this and I'm just walking past things and not noticing or, you know, even maybe a nod or a wink or whatever, I've got to get out of that because I'm not communicating effectively or the communication I'm showing through my own body language is that, is that, well, he doesn't want to talk to me or, you know, he's too busy or doing something else. So that's like... It's like in a game, if, you, if you're not actually communicating while something's going on, you're probably, yeah, you're probably lost in, you know, the past or the future, and that's not what we want. Yeah. So, but you've got to practice it. You practice you it. You practice it, so you've got to, so you've got to get, 
the thing is, when you communicate, you're often taking a risk. You're often, you might be saying something and you're thinking, as it's coming out, if I say that, how's that, how's that going to go down? So that's if you, put, if you work on the culture and the environment to be able to, that's okay. Yeah. It's, it's okay, you know. You don't have to be, say everything awesome all the time, but, you know, we're not always going to get on with everything and, or, or agree with every, each other, but it's okay. Just say yeah. it and we'll work it out later. And rather practicing than it. There's a lot of junior coaches watching who stand on the sidelines screaming at their players saying, talk more, talk more, talk more. And I watch that and I go, have you taught them what to say yet? Mm. Like the young kids, you need to teach them what to say, learn what to say. Got to tell you this. Yeah. I had a great, we just started pre-season 2023. All our World Cup guys haven't come back yet. So we've got a lot of young guys yeah. training at the moment. I've got one young kid in particular the other day, I won't say who he was, but he goes, I said, um, come on, we've got to, We've got, to be talk- we've got to be talking, and he, and he, he actually said to me, he goes, Casey, I'm not, I'm not too sure what to say. There you go. Oh, how, how good's that? There you go. See, the fact that Little he reminder. said that, yeah. and, I, and I'm like, well, wow, I'm not doing my job then. I'm like, hey, Little okay, reminder, just give me a couple boy. of pointers. Anyway, about, yeah, yeah the, a couple of days later, we're about to start the drill, so I straight, went straight up to him. I said, okay, I need what are we that. going to talk about? And he's like, gives me the answers. Like, oh. That was pretty courageous of him to say that Very to head coach. Yeah. I, Another important point, and I'm going to finish with, because I think you're very good at it, a part of communication is also listening. Listening. Sir Alex Ferguson. Yeah. Being a good listener. He used to go and sit in the spa area and listen to players, and he'd he'd hear him talk about a player that they were up against. Oh, I might go sign him. What's he called? The the free education. Yeah. Yeah. But, and I I like to sometimes, you know, do a lot of talking here, but I, I... there was a, a quote I read somewhere, like, everyone wants to be a keynote speaker, but the real skill is being a keynote listener. <laughs> and I've found over the years that that became a real um, skill that I kind of did anyway, but when I actually made it a priority to be a good listener, I think it took my game to another level. And I remember watching you all the time in your staff team reviews, didn't matter if whoever it is up the front presenting, you do a lot of listening. Like you used to sit there and you'd listen. And you, I'd love to read your journals because you used to, I'd be up the front saying stuff to a team and you're just listening and you write down or the, the defensive coaches up there and you, you do a lot of listening. And I feel then that when you come and speak, it's even more powerful. Did you work on that or that's just you? Because you're very present in those meetings, which is a skill. It's, mm. a hard, it's hard to be present for a whole, but you are very present. You're listening. And I'd love to know what's going through your brain or read that journal one day. Yeah, um, it's interesting. I've never been a big talk. Like I, I probably, if I'm talking for the sake of it, then yeah, I, I shouldn't yeah, be. Shouldn't be. Yeah. So I've never been a huge talker. Um, so maybe I have, maybe I've listened uh, all the time. I don't really know. But one thing I did when I started coaching, I used to do, I used to do everything, try and do everything. Yeah. Probably was insecure. I was trying to prove myself. So over, over the years, I've learned the value of uh, delegation, like the power of delegation. Uh, I guess I'm comfortable enough in my own skin, my own you know position now. Where yeah, I'll I'll give you know, you yeah. do your job. He does his. And then you actually, you can. And while they're doing it, you actually sit back and learn stuff. Because everyone's yeah. got, you know, different skills. And if you let them coach or let them do their job, I, yeah, that's how I find it. And, and, and then, then I find like, okay, now I've got to reinforce, you know. What they've said. What they're saying. Yeah. You know, because so what they're saying then becomes more powerful. Yeah. You know, rather than me going, oh, I feel like I've got to almost like compete with them. You know, wow, he's, get, he's doing a really good job. He's like. Jeez, I'm the head coach. Do I have to yeah. one up him here, or you know? <laughs> yeah, so, an insecure yeah. coach would. Yeah, but you're that, very yeah. secure. Well, I I feel like I am now, but I I, I probably wasn't. Well, you said the power of delegation, yeah. but it's also in power empowering for those people because they're getting better. I always found you build up, which is a sign of a great leader. You build up the other people around you. That's that comes with being secure and 
and confident in your yeah. own skin, as you say. And the empowerment thing, I think, is one of the really important thing there is that they've got to actually make some mistakes along the way, and you can't always fix it for them. Yeah. You know, if you're every time they, they, they say something, you go, oh, you know, I think you should do this better. Or sometimes I find oh, I do just try and I'm not going to say anything, and just usually they they know oh, that didn't go so well. Maybe I shouldn't have done that. Yeah. And they'll fix it themselves, which I think is incredibly valuable. Yeah, mm. yeah. And you care about those staff members. I'm going to finish there because I'll thank you for caring about me. You had a huge influence on my life. Thank you for some of the times we've shared priceless, priceless memories. But even sharing with the listeners, I, if anyone ever asked me about who's the best leaders you've worked with, you're at the top of the list with a lot of the stuff we experienced, mate. So oh, thank, you. thank you so much for uh, sharing. And, Thanks for having me. And all the best with the Panthers and your gardening and keeping that <laughs> culture going. They're a world-class outfit, world-class culture. Thank you. I feel yeah. very fortunate to be part of this group and love my job and look forward to each day. Excellent, mate. Thanks, Ace. Some of the best learning you will ever do will be talking and listening over a beautiful glass of red, which brings me to thanking our sponsors at Mortimer's Wines. Mortimer's are a family-owned vineyard in the beautiful region of Orange, New South Wales, Australia. Their historic 150-year-old schoolyard building that is now the cellar door it provides a great atmosphere to taste their fine wines. Visit mortimerswines.com.au